there's one issue which vexes financial advisors most, perhaps it is the Financial Services Compensation Scheme levy. Indeed, the overall FSCS levy has increased in nominal terms from less than 300 million in 2011-12 to an expected levy of 717 million for 2021-22. This, the Financial Conduct Authority acknowledges, is not an ideal situation and it has admitted the burden of the levy falls on firms which have done nothing to bring about these liabilities. And so the regulator has set out plans to address this by tackling the root cause of high FSCS costs. I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. And this week, I'm going to weigh up some of the FCA's proposals with Tim Fassam, Director of Government Relations and Policy at PIMFA, and Claudia Clay, Risk and Regulatory Director at the Private Office. Hello, both. Hi, Tim. Hi, hi. Hello, Damien. So, um, perhaps one of the eye-catching uh, proposals in the discussion paper which the FCA has, has published is, yet again, the prospect of, of a risk-based levy. Uh, this is uh, been mooted several times in the past. Uh, Tim, do you think it's actually likely to see the light of day this time? And would it actually work at making life better for advisors? Um, I think it is one of those issues where there is a difference between the principle and the practicality. Because I think we'd all like to see a scenario where the um, organisations that uh, are likely to call on the levy, pay more uh, and contribute more to it. Um, and so in principle, a risk-based levy is a very good idea and certainly something we've suggested that they, they look at previously. However, it's quite tricky to apply in practice and there's various reasons for that. One is that the way that we're regulated in the UK, we tend, with a few exceptions, to regulate services rather than products. So any risk-based levy that tries to look at high-risk products, when there are claims for compensation that fall onto the FSCS, it is usually because those products have been sold with advice. So the compensation is on the advice, not on the product. So it becomes quite difficult to, to target. The other factor is that on a number of uh, the firms that are falling on the, the FSCS, they are caught by this exact uh, model, but they don't actually have advice permissions. They are found to have given advice, even though um, they were, were claiming that it was an execution only sale. And that means that they would never be caught by uh, a risk-based levy because you would have to be charging them for the risk that they may do something which they don't have permission to do and if they were going to do something they don't have permission to do there should be much much stronger regulatory interventions um similar arguments affect uh higher capital requirements um so this becomes quite difficult to do in practice so PIMFA has suggested something else, which we believe is akin in some ways to a risk-based levy, which is that FCA fines, fines from where financial services firms uh, have been found to have failed in their duty, are utilised towards uh, the FSCS um, after the very small amount of those fines which are given to charity. Now, if you look at this year they've recently announced the full um uh, fines for the last uh, 12 months 
and it uh, represents about 80% of the total cost of the FSCS. And so you would be able to say that 80% of the FSCS cost had been covered by organisations that were found to have been in breach of um, uh, of the regulatory rules. Um, I think a reasonable argument that the polluter would be paying and one that would enable uh, many well-run firms to avoid the cost uh, associated with compensating for others' poor behaviour. Mm -hmm. uh, Claudia, what do, you, what do you make of, of, of the point that Tim's made and, and of the concept of a, of a risk-based levy in general for, as somebody who is involved in running a financial advice firm on the ground? Yeah, I think our, our angle is slightly different. That um, that last point Tim made particularly resonates as an interesting one about the suggestion fines could somehow be used to uh, to fund the FSCS. I'd, personally, I'd like to see a scheme that's funded by firms which is somehow proportionate to their own behaviours. I was thinking maybe some form of low claims discount or I don't know, it's, it's a very simplistic view of it, but in principle, that would feel a lot fairer. I mean, we we operate in gen generally the high net wealth space. And whilst we do have the trust of our clients, the reassurance of this backstop, it, it can only help to, to endorse that trust. But I, I struggle with the concept that I've heard discussed of the FSCS being considered just as a cost of doing business. That, uh, that doesn't fit too comfortably with me. And I think it should be there to help consumers of deauthorised firms who have left their affairs in good order rather than clean up after some of the ones that that haven't and we've, we've all seen the examples of those recently um i did read something quite interesting in the fca's their discussion paper where they're suggesting that the existence of the fscs might encourage consumers to take more risks than they can afford to um it under the heading of it's relied on too much which i've, I've struggled to reconcile because compensations predicated on the firm failing and in an advisory business why would we even exist if, if that was our approach to governance and doing our our job and then they go on to say they've not actually got any evidence to support that assertion which I yeah I did find uh, quite an interesting read and you know quite rightly I think they say firms should be incentivized to run the businesses in the right way I I completely and categorically agree with that quite how they can do that through the uh, FSCS, I don't know. I mean, our biggest challenge is, is cash flow planning and forecasting. And we try and do our budgets well in advance to make sure we have got the financial resilience, yet we get absolutely walloped by ever-increasing fees, interim levies that we can't predict. Um, so I, whilst I, I, I believe that it's the right time and I'm pleased they're looking at it, I'm slightly cynical about where this is going to end up. I mean, we've been here before 2018. Is there anything revolutionary in this next one that's going to benefit advisors? I'm not sure. So, um, so in a sense, predictability is almost as much of a valuable asset as, as the size of the levy itself, I guess, for, you, for me. Certainly in trying to run a business. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely, from that perspective. Yeah. You mentioned um, uh, most of your clients are high net worth individuals and um, – one of the point questions that the FCA asks in its discussion paper is whether high net worth individuals should be eligible for compensation from the FSCS. Um, what do you make of, of that? <laughs> well, 
to me, poor advice is a risk regardless of your worth. You can be wealthy, you can be vulnerable to poor outcomes. Um, I can't imagine we would treat a client who had more wealth any less favourably than a client who 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 didn't. And I, I find it very strange that that's a concept they're entertaining, is my gut feel. Um you know, poor, poor advice is a risk. How on earth would they determine who is and who isn't eligible for compensation on that basis? And one of the points they raise in their paper is that actually explaining the coverage of the compensation scheme to consumers in its current guise is, is challenging. Um, how advisors could translate these sorts of uh, filters and, you know, you you might be eligible for compensation or you might not be i guess it depends how much money you've got i can't imagine that going down too well with consumers depends, or depends how good you would if you're, the better your advisor is the less you're eligible for compensation <laughs> yes. um tim uh, what, do, what do you make of this suggestion that high net worth or sophisticated individuals i think they also include might not be eligible for, for compensation do you think that might have any effect or well, I think, I mean, uh, as Claudius uh, sort of highlighted earlier, for there to be a claim on the FSCS, there needs to be two things, right? There needs to be a compensatable event, so a complaint of some kind, and a failure, right? It's not like the banking sector where uh, you might get a run on a bank and you're literally having the cash that you put in given back to you. In our sector, even where a firm fails, generally your investments, unless it has been completely fraudulently run, you have the investments. They are they are real assets that you're invested in. So if you had a scenario where you're saying that high net worth uh, customers aren't eligible for the FSCS, but are eligible for the FOS, you end up with a very strange scenario where some customers are compensated no matter what. Some customers are compensated only if their firm is a going concern. Um, and does the, uh, and that seems to incentivize all sorts of, of bizarre behavior. Um, I am also would be very surprised if it saved very much money because my understanding of what is driving the costs in the FSCS are not claims by high net worth individuals, my, my understanding is that would be a relatively small uh, amount of um, of the total compensation. So some of the other um, proposals that the FCA has, has included in its paper includes um, the fact that um, they could have a more stringent appointed representative a regime. They could have uh, reforms to the prudential re regulation regime, uh, addressing issues such as phoenixing. Um, Tim, are, are the, the FCA right to raise these issues? Are any of these, do you think, particularly crucial? Yeah, I mean, I think they are right to look at a whole range of issues. And one of the things we've argued at PIMFA based on our analysis of what is causing this problem is that it is no one thing that it is a, um, uh, a symptom of how our regulatory system operates as a whole. And therefore, you do have to look at a whole range of, of issues uh, across the piece. Now, some of what they're looking at, so on phoenixing, we would absolutely agree that that needs um, very serious attention, including, and the FCA agrees with us on this, particularly scenarios where advisors are phoenixing into CMCs that then um, 
make money making complaints against their own previous firm, which seems a particularly egregious uh, scenario. So phoenixing, absolutely. Um, we need to ensure that where people have given bad advice that has led to significant cost on the FSCS, that that that, that risk is managed and they are treated uh, appropriately with appropriate controls. The AR regime is a tricky one. There are a few issues, but they're quite specific issues where um, firms use uh, AR um, status as a way of avoiding regulatory scrutiny. But there are also some absolutely fantastic AR firms, some of the big networks that do great jobs and reduce the risks of their members. So it's a bit of an issue of a sledgehammer to crack a nut here and whether actually they need to be identifying these specific issues that we agree with, rather than toughening up the regime as a whole, which in many areas works quite well. On Prudential, I mean, I'd go back to my previous point. It, it, yes, it is a sensible thing to look at um, because it does help reduce uh, failure um, and um, it may help in certain circumstances. It will reduce competition. It will be a pretty huge barrier to entry if done badly. And again, many of the firms that end up falling, if you look at, say, LCF, where LCF has fallen on the FSCS, it is where advice was given without advice permissions. So they would never have been capitalised to the level they needed to be for the risk to be covered. And so we'd point to two other things that we think the FCA particularly needs to do. We've got a, a very long to-do list for them, but two I would particularly highlight right now. One is they need to use have much better utilization of market intelligence. So when firms, PIMFA members are saying, we have come across this other firm that we think are doing something dodgy, or frankly, just put high return investment into Google and you will find a whole bunch of stuff that looks pretty dodgy that may come back to, to fall on the FSCS. So are you identifying these bad actors proactively and dealing with them swiftly? And this is this in the end was our big disappointment with the FCA's consultation is to our mind the single most effective thing that we can do to reduce the cost of the FSCS long term is improve supervision. As for the FCA to do a better job at identifying these firms dealing with ambiguities swiftly, um, using their regulatory powers decisively when there is consumer harm. And there's very, very little in this paper that recognises the FCA's own role in creating these costs. Uh, Claudia, what do you um, again, make, of, make of what Tim has said and, and some of the proposals that the FCA has made? For example, would you be willing as a, as a financial advice firm to pay a higher, have a higher prudential um, uh, amount of money than um, um, pay your, pay the and a higher FSCS levy? <laughs> well, I think um, from our experience over the last two years, particularly, we have suffered quite significant increases and I'm talking hundreds of thousands of pounds in our fees. So would I be willing and keen on any more? Um, no. <laughs> um, but look, every pound that's spent on compensation is 
monetizing consumer harm, isn't it? And that results from misconduct, as Tim said. And what aggrieves me is all the money that is spent is paid for by firms, the majority of which haven't caused the harms, which, which um, it, you know, is, is the running theme in all of this. And I agree with Tim that whilst the FCA is recognising that the crux of this should be preventing harm in the first place, what the discussion paper isn't going on to do is identify specifically what the FCA could could do there. And in various different guises, we've been through the direct authorisation process, we've been through the deauthorisation process for firms we've acquired, we've been through variation of permissions processes. There's a huge opportunity during that authorisation for the FCA to be a lot more proactive, a lot more robust, a lot more challenging in what it's asking of firms, what it's expecting of firms, and then ongoing through the supervision, as as Tim quite rightly points out, they've got a multitude of data at their fingertips, whether it's through other firms or whether it's from such as their COVID surveys, their reg data. There is so much intelligence submitted on firms and by firms if they can use that and harness it in a way to spot the earlier warning signs through their supervision, that that to me is how we will reduce the burden of the FSCS levy on the firms that are doing the right thing with the right behaviours and the right governance. Um, so that's where I would suggest the focus could be. The um, One of the other issues that, that the FCA raised was changing the scope of FSCS protection, sort of one of the implications, I suppose, is that they want, they're interested in whether they should reduce the scope of FCS protection. In, in fact, they highlight that the FCA highlights that in some jurisdictions, in, in many other jurisdictions, some things like in some types of investment advice are not covered by by the, the national um, compensation scheme. And they've also, they've, so they've suggested maybe this is something that could, could be considered. They've also suggested whether some types of um, investment products should be excluded from uh, the FSCS. So, the FCA does also highlight that this could uh, have a negative impact on uh, on confidence in, in financial services. Um, Claudia, what are your thoughts on this? Are there any particular aspects that you think should be excluded, could be in included? Or? I mean, my, my thinking's more around the implementation of it. If we're excluding products or services, again, it's the transparency. It's that making sure firms and making sure consumers understand what is and isn't included at any particular time, because I imagine it would be an ever-evolving beast. Um, I'm not I'm not sure how relevant it is to compare our coverage to other jurisdictions when we look at the structure of our financial services industry and market, the types of firms and individuals involved in, in the industry within our jurisdiction is quite different to, to some others. So it, it, it's not a like-for-like -like comparison, and I imagine it would be quite hard to get too much relevant intelligence from that. Um, you know, taking steps to to make changes to what's included is, is definitely worth consideration. But then you look at the discussion points within the paper and they are saying how many claims they have for investment advice, yet investment advice is one of the things that they're proposing be excluded. And I wonder if that's masking the problem, uh, if it would translate in, into other areas. And I'd, I'd be quite interested to get PI insurers' views on this type of thing as well and, and see whether that's factored into the proposals. Um, 
I, I suspect it would be a difficult thing to implement and a difficult thing to explain. Yeah, seems quite convenient. If it, the FSCS levy will go down if we just remove all the things which coincidentally absolutely. are responsible for all of the claims against the FSCS. Absolutely, and then when you try and reconcile that with their objective and appropriate level of protection for consumers and the number of consumers that buy services from an advisory uh, arrangement, it it doesn't sit great with me. <laughs> Tim, what do you think? So I, I would take a slightly different view but one that I think is completely uh, completely compatible with what every, everything that Claudia said, which is I think there are real opportunities to look at the scope, but the end result can't be that it's the ordinary man in the street that, that loses out. And what I think should be considered in great detail, and one of the things that really concerns us is, in a way, the FSCS is built on industry solidarity you know there for the great there but for the grace of god go i firms looking at firms that are like them that have failed and making sure that their consumers don't lose out but increasingly we're seeing what looks like crime being compensated by the financial services compensation scheme so we are seeing uh, organizations engaging in what looks very much like fraud and if that fraud has taken, has involved what steps over the line into regulated advice, um, then that is falling onto the FSCS. Um, you know, LCF as an example, again, they were well aware that those were not serious investments, mini bond scandals. Some of the um, Cape Verde real estate or uh, storage containers, these are at best scams, if not outright fraud. And I think it's perfectly reasonable to say that in other areas, crime is compensated for by the state or by an individual's insurers. So I think there is a absolutely not saying they should not be compensated. But is it fair that our industry is the one that compensates them for being a victim of crime? Related to that, most of our firms can't do anything to stop the FSCS going down because they are not involved. They are not the firms that are creating the bad outcomes or failing. However, particularly with these um, more scam-like schemes that are falling on the compensation scheme, they're being advertised on Google. They're being linked to on Facebook. They're being promoted on Instagram. Are, is it reasonable to consider whether these tech firms should be taking more responsibility for fraud and scams that are happening on their platforms? Now, we've successfully uh, lobbied with a number of other organizations, including Martin Lewis um, and Age uh, UK, which other trade associations, to expand the remit of the online harms bill to include online uh, fraud but there's more that can be done. So I think the question is, is it fair that in all of these circumstances, it is our industry that is ensuring customers don't lose out? But I wouldn't want a scenario where the FCA turns this into an industry versus consumer argument, because actually it's in all of our interest to, simp to um, reduce the amount of consumer harm 
and have fewer people go on to the compensation scheme. I guess at some point it does feel like uh, if whatever it is that you're up to, if you're just wearing a hat that says financial advice, then it sort of gets ends up in the uh, the FSCS bucket at times, I guess. Okay, well, um, there's a lot uh, of uh, food for thought there. And uh, thanks very much for your time today, Claudia and Tim. And thanks very much for listening. And tune in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.